All right, well, we're moving into a new section now um, in our book. If you're following through the Discipleship Journey book with us, we started in chapter six this week. Um, whether you're moving through it or not with us intentionally during weekly study, we're just gonna keep preaching through all the material in this book throughout the year. And so what we're focusing on the next four weeks is the disciples' disciplines. Man, that just sounds exciting, doesn't it? Like two people were excited, yeah. Um, discipline, it's just such a great word. It fills me with joy. I just, I'm excited to receive discipline. I love giving out discipline. It's just the best, like... No, like that word, you know, the connotations of that word, like just, they don't inspire like joy and excitement. Um, but what I'm hoping that we'll see in the coming weeks is that there's, there's a discipline that you choose because you love something, you believe in something and you're excited to grow in it. And so some of the places I've experienced the most discipline in my life, especially like in my teenage years, early 20s, like just as somebody who loved sports and played a lot of sports, like it, it didn't take a lot for me to decide to be committed to grow skills and ability and put in the work and put in the practice. Even though it was hard, I loved and enjoyed what I was doing. And so my hope is that when we hear disciples' disciplines, we just realize that God's invited us into something wonderful, a growing relationship with him, but purpose on this earth, he's given us a purpose. There's moment by moment, day by day purpose. There's unique ways that he's called and gifted us that might last for a season, or we may even step into some stuff that's like, wow, this is what I'm doing with my life. But God, God gives us purpose and destiny in this life. And so these disciplines are meant to sharpen tools and equip us to be who God's called us to be and to do what God's called us to do. So I hope you don't hear these as chores, but as things that we can choose to step into to grow and refine and, and master being a disciple of Jesus, can master that. So let me pray and then we're gonna jump into this today. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't dismiss the kids. See, I'm just like ready to go. Okay. Andrew and all our fourth graders and up, you get the joy of spending time with Andrew instead of listening to me this morning. So go have a great time in your class. We love you guys. Uh, thank you for interrupting. Nick, good catch. Just yell at me next time. Well, clearly I need to pray again because I need some help this morning. All right. Well, Lord, um, would you come and be our guide? God, would you talk to us this morning about the joy of spiritual disciplines. God, the joy of finding strength that we didn't know we had. The joy of, of receiving and growing in knowledge. God, that equips us to face this world. God, to grow and mature into the people you've called us to be. To be able to handle all the situations, even the ones that just take us completely off guard. God, that, that you invite us to grow, to mature. Thank you that you give us clear direction on how to do that. And thank you, Lord, that we never do it alone, that you are with us and you are for us and you work in us to produce fruit. If we will just choose to simply say, Lord, here's my life, use me, send me, I yield to you. God, move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Well, some weeks I have to think really hard about how am I gonna introduce the sermon or try to prayerfully come up with examples that might help things make sense. And then sometimes, you know, an example just finds you. And so uh, yesterday morning, I'm sitting with my coffee mid-morning, hanging out, and I just suddenly hear this like, scream, squeal, call from our bedroom, bathroom area. And all I hear my wife saying is either Jake or babe or both and run. I just hear run. And so I'm like trying to jump up and run in there. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a bug freaking her out. There's probably a spider or something. And about, and I'm, I'm being honest, I wasn't running. I was moving kind of slow because I thought it's a bug or something. Well, about halfway there, I hear the word snake. And then I did run. And then I did stop really fast once I got there. And there was about a three and a half to four foot snake in our bathroom. Yeah, nope, for sure. I wasn't ready for this. I was unprepared for this. We've been in this house almost four years now. We've had no incident even remotely like this. We've seen like one once in the backyard. So it's there. And so I just kind of do the like, I'm like this. Charlie, who I talk about all the time, good faithful dog, he's right next to me. He didn't pounce on it. I'm still a little frustrated with that. But he was with me, like hair up, he's ready. The cat's tail's poofed up this big, like she's freaked out. And so we're all just standing there, like what do we do with this snake? We're all afraid, but I'm sure the snake was more afraid than any of us. And so it kind of starts sliving towards this corner and realize, oh, there's this little closet that we have in an unaddressed hole in that closet that we've ignored forever. And it's, headed, it's heading back towards that hole. And so, you know, this is all happening really fast, but I'm looking at this snake, I'm trying to decide what to do. And I just have to tell y'all, I don't think there was any doubt, but if there was any doubt about your pastor, I can say clearly now this morning, I am not a snake handler. <laughs> there was no part of me that I was having faith to believe that I could touch a snake and not be bit. And so I did not reach out with my hand there were a couple moments where I thought I should, but I'm like, no way, I'm not doing that. So my faithful wife was like ready to help though. And so she's right, she goes, here, babe, here. And she hands me a plastic hanger. And I'm like, what am I gonna do with this hanger? And I just like gave it right back to her. Uh, needless to say, we were unprepared and we were ill-equipped. I did not have the proper tools in hand to deal with that snake. Now, I don't really know exactly what the moral of the story is, but I think it's at least this, don't get caught fighting a snake with a plastic hanger. It's just, it's not gonna work. So as silly as that introduction is, like, here's the deal. We, we can know and believe that God gives us these things that will help us grow and be prepared, these tools that he gives us, but if they're not easily accessible, or even if, a tool like the Bible, we're gonna talk about the Bible this morning, is there and it's on the shelf. Like, if I don't know how to use it, the tool itself is great and it's wonderful, but if it's in the hand of a novice, I can't do anything with it. Friends, life will come up and bite us. We all know this, it already has, and it will. There, there are things throughout this life that we will face our own struggles and failures along the way, the difficulties of just the circumstances of life, difficult relationships, all of it. The list goes on and on. The only thing surprising is that we act surprised when it happens. 
I now know I need to have something on hand and ready in case a snake shows up in my bathroom again. The foolish thing would be if I'm not ready next time now, right? And so what we're gonna talk about over these next few weeks is not just the importance of the disciplines, but if we would really purpose to say, I, I wanna apply these in my life. And I bet we're at all different places because that's just reality. And so I would just encourage you, let the Lord speak to you over the next few weeks about where you currently are and where he might have you take the next step. All right, as you, as you hear all this, if you're like me, you know, when, when I'm starting to recognize areas I need to grow, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. Gosh, there's like five takeaway points. I'm gonna be doing great if I can just do one. Yeah, just do one. Let the Lord reveal to you where you are and what would it look like to take the next step? See, this whole idea of, you know, this, this, this um, section that we're in, it's the disciples' disciplines. You know, there's all kinds of different disciplines in this world. It's the disciples' disciplines. A disciple is someone who is an apprentice that's preparing to become a master. I'm learning a set of skills. I'm learning a way of life from a master. And I start as an apprentice, but the goal is to become a master. That's what God's after. This is what Jesus was all about. He came to bring salvation to everyone. He came to extend eternal life. He came to bring forgiveness and repentance and a whole new approach. But what he came to do is invite the world into a discipleship relationship where we could we could become apprentices really on life. Jesus wants to teach us how to master life. And so our focus today specifically is on how God's word works to do that. We've read this verse several times recently, but it's worth reading again. It's, it's a master talking to an apprentice who's becoming a master and is starting to train other people. And Paul writes these words to Timothy, a young up and coming pastor in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You see that he's saying, there's all of these ways that it's useful and beneficial and it's all about training you. That the man of God, and we could say woman of God as well, may be complete, equipped for every good work. What is the point of the scripture? That I might become a master at applying the scripture. That I may become complete. That's the idea of full maturity. Full maturity, you know, carries with it the connotation of the ability to reproduce. So not only have I reached maturity, I can now reproduce and help others reach maturity. That's the power of discipleship. I grow, I mature, and I help others do the same. And so we're gonna talk about mastering the word of God this morning. Three key things. These are probably three things you already know and you've heard. And I just wanna encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about where you might be with each of these and how you might step into to one of them a little bit more, or maybe he encourages you like, Lord, I've really been walking in that one for a while now. And he nudges you to step into another one a little bit, but see what he might say to you. But specifically reading God's word, meditating on God's word and studying God's word. 
reading, meditating, studying. So first of all, reading the word of God. Um, Jesus is gonna be our model through all of this. Jesus did all three of these and he encouraged others to. Over 10 times in the gospels, when Jesus was faced with a life question, just general life questions, some examples might be like, what does it look like to celebrate Sabbath and worship God? Um, marriage advice, especially if I'm struggling in marriage. Um, just advice about how to interact with other people, even in like business dealings, when there's relational problems. Even the big questions about death and about life after death. In all of these instances, over and over and over again, as Jesus was asked these questions, he replied with this question. Don't, don't you love it when somebody does that, right? Caleb, could you answer this for me? Well, Jake, what about this? But he, he was a master at that. He, he answered questions with questions to get us thinking. And so he over and over again said, when faced with a life question, he would say, have you not read? Have you not read? He points them back to scripture. He points them back. Remember this? Haven't you read this? Don't you recall this? Over and over again, because he did that. The scripture, by just reading it, was his reference point for life. And he encouraged others to do the same. Here's an example. Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Guys, at the most basic level, Jesus is encouraging this guy to read the Bible for himself and apply it in his own life. What does the word of God say? Jesus is standing there in the flesh. He could give this guy all kinds of advice. He could go ahead and lay out the gospel plan. Well, buddy, actually, if you hang around for another year, year and a half, I'm gonna be crucified and I'm gonna be raised again from the dead. And if you put your faith in my death, burial and resurrection and believe that I'm the son of God, you can go, like he could have laid it all out. He's standing there in the flesh. But what did he do? Go read the word. What does it say? Apply it to your life. Figure out how does this touch your everyday life? Read and apply. Jesus encourages that. Now, this guy clearly had, had read and was seeking to apply it, but there's something really crucial that happens next and it should be a warning to all of us. The very next verse. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Friends, when we set out to consistently read the word of God and to learn to apply it to our lives, we have to be aware of our natural inclination to read the parts we like to read and find the stuff that makes us feel good about what I'm doing, about how I'm living. Does it make me feel better? Does it make me feel justified? Does it agree with me? We, we like finding those parts. It's just our natural inclination. If you don't think you're naturally wired that way, I got news for you. Sorry, 
We love corroboration. I love hearing I'm on the right track and thinking the right way. Now listen, as we read the scripture and we do apply it appropriately, then more and more our our life should agree with it. But it's not that the Bible's agreeing with us, it's I'm learning to agree with it. Because I'm setting out to read it at face value and say, God, what it says I intend to do. By your grace and with your help, I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna apply it. And so I align myself with it instead of just picking and choosing little pieces that make me feel good about how I'm already living, the way I already think. We getting this? There's this warning. And so Jesus lovingly, he just, he tells him the story of the good Samaritan, right? So, so Jesus, who knows the word, he's read it and he's encouraging this guy to apply it and Jesus has practiced applying it. He helps him apply it. Well, let me tell you a story to put it in just a real life, everyday context. And so Jesus tells him the story of the good Samaritan. I think most of us are probably familiar with it, right? There's a guy beat up, left for dead on the side of the road. He's been robbed. A couple of different godly people walk by him, a priest, a Levite. They go right by, don't help him. And then a Samaritan, an outsider, stops, tends to his wounds, takes him to an inn, provides for him physically, financially, meets his needs. Jesus wraps up the story and he looks at the guy in Luke 10, verse 36 now. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I love that. The way Jesus lived his life, he was rooted in the word. He encouraged others to be rooted in the word. And he told a lot of stories like this to help people figure out how do I apply this to my life? Friends, I wanna encourage you, be disciplined to set time aside to read. When you do, pause and consider, God, how do I apply this to my life today? What does this look like in my marriage? What does this look like in my business dealings? What does this look like in my friendships? God, what does this look like just in my own heart and mind, things I'm thinking about, struggling with? God, how does your word apply to my life? How can I apply it? How can I put it into practice? I love this because Jesus, he didn't just encourage other people to read and apply the scripture, he lived by it. I wanna give you one more example before we move on to meditation. Jesus, at the launch of his ministry, pretty quickly after he launches his ministry, he soon returns to his hometown. I just, I want you to see the, the habit, the rhythm of Jesus. Luke chapter four now, verses 16 and 17. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, this is a regular habit. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. I want you just to notice the specifics here. First of all, his regular custom was participating in the public reading of scripture. He did this. He got together with people in his community. They would read the word publicly. 
and then they would talk about it. The person who read would often kind of start it off like, here's an application point, here's what I see, but there would be dialogue about it. They read the word and they had conversation together. And this was his custom, it was his habit. Public reading, then speaking about it together. And then notice, Jesus was familiar enough with the scripture. He was handed a scroll. So this isn't even as easy as flipping pages. A scroll, like unroll over here, unroll over, okay, roll back this, roll, no, okay. Like he's got to roll through this thing and he went right to a specific location that he knew. He was familiar with it. It's like, this is what needs to be read in this moment. And then watch what he does. He reads the passage Verse 18 now, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There is a unique power that comes when we read the scripture with the intention of doing it. If I will be bold enough to dare to sit down with the word of God and say, God, what you wanna say to me through this, whatever it is, God, I'm ready to commit in my heart. I'm gonna walk it out. And where we have often maybe felt weak and ineffectual, God, I struggle with defeating that sin in my life. God, I struggle with even being committed to regular reading. If I approach it this way, God, this is your real living word and I intend to put into practice what I read. We will discover the power of the presence of God that shows up and says, I can do something with that. Before he even said his application point, just the way he read the verse, everybody was like, whoa. They saw something on him that morning. They paid attention to him to see what was coming next because this was a guy who took it seriously. I'm gonna apply this to my life. And then Jesus, I mean, you talk about application. Like he's not just going, here's a verse I can kind of use today to help me walk out this relationship. Something profound has happened. Jesus has discovered that this passage is talking about him. This is what I'm here to do. He has discovered somewhere along the way that this is his purpose. Like, I don't know in the mysteries of the world how all of this worked, but, but most scholars believe like, yes, Jesus is the son of God, but most believe, I believe that this was something he discovered along the way that he came to a knowledge of who he was. That as he as he pursued the Lord, as he grew in relation with him, as he read the word, he began to, to come to understand. I'm sure his parents at the right time as he was able to understand, began to tell him this dream, this angelic visit, this scripture, you're called to fulfill these. And he began to take on the reality of the word and believed it to be true and discovered his purpose and identity. Now I realize there is something unique about Jesus being the son of God, 
But friends, I'm telling you right now, this book has a lot to say to you and to me about our purpose, about our identity, about who God's called us to be. And if I'll start reading it, realizing God wrote this to me about me, there's power, there's power. And Jesus discovers, whoa, and steps into that purpose. And see, this is where I believe we move from reading the scripture to meditating on it. I believe that somewhere along the way, as Jesus read the word, he began to dwell, listen, ruminate on it. Because this type of insight and revelation doesn't come from, you know, 6.30 a.m., okay, read my psalm for the day, done, moving on. I've already kind of forgotten what I read. This kind of revelation comes from spending time, pondering, dwelling, considering. So the second point this morning, if reading God's word is important, just faithfully daily reading, looking for ways to apply it, the second thing that we're called to do is to meditate on the word of God. If that word meditate freaks you out because I realize it's used in some different contexts, it's reflecting, it's considering. This isn't emptying my mind and hoping something hits me like a lightning bolt and I discover something. It's the opposite. It's filling my mind with truth. It's meditating on the word of God, sitting with it, absorbing it. We get a beautiful picture of this. Over and over again, I hope you guys see this idea of master apprentice, master apprentice. Jesus was a master who poured into his disciples. Well, in the Old Testament, we have a a master reaching the end of his life that's passing the baton to his apprentice as Moses is equipping Joshua to step into leadership. And he says these words, Joshua 1, 7 and 8, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. See, God's saying Moses has been giving you this stuff. He's been passing this on to you, but Joshua, now it's time for you to step up and take ownership of it yourself. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Like this is as practical as it gets. God says, you wanna have success in life? Pay attention to my word. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Moses had modeled this and now God's saying, Joshua, it's time for you to step into this. Meditate on my word. This word meditate, it's a verb. Figuratively, it means to ponder, to meditate. But it even means, listen to this, it's interesting, to growl, to groan, to sigh. It means to mutter or to speak. Like even like talking under your breath, like repeating scripture. Now, some of those are kind of weird. So like one example, like moan or groan. That's moans of grief. The the word meditate is actually translated in the book of Isaiah as moans of grief. In other words, when much is weighing on my mind, what will I meditate on? Will I meditate on those anxieties, those struggles? Or in my grief, will I meditate on the word of God? 
Another example, growl, the growl of a lion. This is also used in Isaiah and it's the idea of a young lion that's courageous. And so the context is finding courage in the face of fear. We, We are going to face fearful moments. Faith is not the absence of fear, it's what we do in the presence of fear. And God says, meditate on my word and you'll find courage when facing fear. And then finally, this one's really interesting. It even got used once to to talk about the coos of a dove. The coos of a dove. In the context of that example, the idea was the dove is actually facing difficulty and yet it's able to coo in peace as it looks to God. Peace, courage, even in grief and mourning, we're called to meditate on the word of God and God gives us what we need when we need it. Meditating on his word, taking it in. Uh, When you hear the word meditate, when you think about reflecting on scripture, I wanna give you this word picture. Imagine that you are a sponge and the idea of meditating on God's word is that you're, you're soaking it up. I'm just, I'm, I'm soaking it up. Maybe there's a, a specific passage that I'm just reading over and over again. I, I had like two or three years of my life, I'm not even kidding, where like I just was obsessed with the story of the prodigal son. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I'd read it, I'd repeat it, I'd hear sermons on it. I read a couple different books on it. I even did something that was kind of weird to me. I read a book that a guy wrote about the painting Rembrandt did of the prodigal son story. And this guy just sat and studied the painting for like months and wrote his observations. That seems like something I would never do. (laughs) And I haven't stood and stared at that painting for months, but I did read about what someone else learned as they did that. But I just, I began to see, it's like such a simple story and yet, the amount of richness that the Lord brought into my life about him and his love and all kinds of things about myself that he began to reveal. And it's like, man, I'm the younger brother. I'm the elder brother. I'm like, I'm a mess. And then realizing one day that God was like, oh no, I want you to be like the father in the story. Can you get ditched like that in a relationship and yet be ready to extend and receive back in love? because you've forgiven. Absorb, absorb, like a sponge, take it in. It could be a passage of scripture. It could be an aspect just of God. Like maybe it's just the word grace. And you begin to just say, I just wanna meditate on what God's grace is all about. I wanna read all the places in scripture that talk about it and just get informed about what does his grace really mean? What did it look like in the lives of all these people in scripture? And just, you absorb in that word, that concept, a passage. You just sit with it, you take it in. You can't do this rushing through something, but you also don't have to just be sitting still. Like you take it in and you, you ruminate on it. You know, for me, like mowing the lawn, on a walk, in the shower, just kind of sitting with it, pondering it, meditating on it. And then those things that you soak up, watch what happens when that moment of grief 
when that, that fearful thing, when that moment of difficulty comes your way, because guess what? Just like a sponge, if we've been absorbing his word, then guess what rings out of us when life gets difficult? His word comes out because it's, it's there. It's there. We see an example of this in Jesus' life when he's tempted in the wilderness in Luke chapter four. Like he didn't have the scrolls out there with him to try to hurry up and find an answer to defeat Satan's temptation. He's hungry, he's exhausted, he's tired. And the enemy is after him in the middle of that moment. Luke four, verses one and two. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Luke then records three different temptations. And in one of them, in the last one, Satan even quotes scripture at Jesus. Satan brings a temptation. Jesus gets wrung out. Scripture comes out. Second temptation. Jesus is getting wrung again, tested again, tempted again. What comes out? Scripture. Satan goes, okay, I'm onto this. Let me throw some scripture at him. And Satan uses and twists scripture. And guess what he's trying to do? That thing I was pointing to earlier, right? He's trying to appeal to something very human in Jesus to go, well, the Bible says this, so couldn't you do this? But Jesus has so meditated on and absorbed scripture that he can even recognize when it's being misused. That is needed in our day. I hope you, you hear me. That is needed in our day. And it's been needed in every day. Scripture used and manipulated to push a certain point or agenda or whatever. It's added to, some's held back, some's taken out of context. But listen, I don't have to live in fear of that. If I'm absorbing the word of God and I'm reflecting on it, then when that misuse, that misapplication, that lie comes, guess what? Guess what rings out of me? Truth. And so Jesus was even able to respond to misused scripture with the truth of scripture. No, don't even tempt God, he says. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he left Jesus alone and never messed with him again. Is that what it says? No, he departed from him until an opportune time. The snake's gonna be a snake. But Jesus was ready and when life was hard, when life was difficult, when he was faced with all of the things that come our way, scripture rang out of him. This isn't just about Jesus. We use the example of Moses and Joshua and just see one more quick example and we'll move to our third point. King David writes in Psalm 1, verses one through three, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's talking about where you hang out, where you live, 
where you spend your time. What are you listening to? Who are you around? What are you absorbing? Blessed are you if you steer clear of this. Instead, verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. What's the fruit? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Wisdom from David about meditating on God's word. Then David's son, Solomon, writes these words, Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. David passed it on to Solomon. Solomon received from his father, but where did Solomon ultimately get wisdom? He asked it of God. Modeled by his father, but he chose for himself, God, I want what you have for me. If I could pick anything in this world, I want wisdom that comes from you. And God gave it. And so we see the son pass, or the father pass on to the son and the son now encouraging that in next generations. And I love this. We see from David's picture, just this idea of a tree that's established and can make it through any season. Like the, the leaves are always there and the fruit comes in its season. And then we see Solomon even adds to that. Not only is it life to those who find the word and meditate on it, it brings healing. So when there's hurt and there's wound along the way, it brings healing. Here's the bottom line, kind of wrapping up this idea of meditating, okay? An apprentice meditates, ponders, considers, reflects, and ultimately lives by the words of the master. Think about this in context of any other like skill set. You know, you start to develop the ability to, to do something, to create. Eventually you start creating on your own, right? You move from mimicking what you've seen and observed from others. Like art would be a great example of this, right? Like I study some different artists. I watch their work. I see how they do it, try to mimic what they do. And then eventually, instead of just watching what they're doing and mimicking, now I begin to create on my own. I've taken in, I've pondered, I've considered, and now I'm like playing with it. I'm seeing what, what could I do here? What might this look like here? And I begin to use those, th those skills, those abilities I've developed. What if we did that with the word of God? Looking at the lives of the saints of old, Moses and Joshua, David and Solomon, Jesus himself, and going, okay, Lord, now what does this look like in my life as I've absorbed this? How do I apply this in my life in context? Um, if this is a little bit of new territory to think about really slowing down and just sitting with a passage and, and reading it, thinking about it and grabbing pieces of it and chewing on it, let me, let me give you a place to start. Um, it's the longest Psalm, Psalm 119. But what's cool about this Psalm is it talks over and over again about meditating. Talks about it, meditating on the word. So it's both a way to learn how to meditate on scripture from David, one of the masters. It's also a way to practice. I can listen to him talking about meditation and I can meditate on his reflections on meditation. Like I'm, I'm learning it and I'm doing it all at the same time. 
So that's a place you could start. Psalm 119. Let me give you just a little flavor of this and then we'll move on. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Wow, this guy's going, I've, I've learned to apply this so much. I'm beginning to move beyond those who taught me. That's, that can be an arrogant thing, but it doesn't have to be an arrogant thing. Look back at some of the masters who like learned from the one and then moved on. I don't know if y'all remember me telling the story years ago when Amy and I got back from Italy, Da Vinci's master had taught him for years to paint and they worked on this particular painting together and the, the master had painted like half of it and then Da Vinci finished it and the master had the realization, whoa, he's passed me by. Looking at that one painting, he was like blown away at how far Da Vinci had gone and surpassed him. And there's two ways to view that, right? Like, oh man, I'm discouraged or wow, I was able to invest and to pour into that person and, and look where he's taken it. This is John the Baptist saying, he must increase and I must decrease. I love that. 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, I would encourage you, consistently read the word, but I would encourage you, meditate. It's kind of fun too, because you don't have to like race through anything. There's no goal. There's no like, well, I gotta get this done by this date or I fell behind. It's like, no, I'm just gonna sit with this passage, this concept, this story for as long as it takes and just absorb what the Lord has. All right, and then finally, last one. I'm not gonna expound on this one as long, um, but studying the word of God, studying it, going beyond just reading, going beyond just reflecting, really getting in behind to understand what do these words mean, how they connect with one, to one another. This is where you're really coming underneath other teachers. It's where you're using Bible study tools and resources yourself reading commentaries, looking up what words mean. Listen, this stuff used to be super expensive or hard to get to, or maybe you should go spend days at the library. Now there's so many incredible, like free or next to nothing online resources that are great. Uh, Crystal's dad's developed the one I use all the time. It's called eSword. You can write this down if you don't know it. E dash, is that a dash? The one that goes straight? E dash, not a, not a slash, I don't know. I probably should have planned ahead and put this on the screen. E dash sword.net. And there's, there's an app. The website version's free. There's extra add-ons you can pay for. If you have an iPhone, I think it's like $1.99 for the app. There's like volumes of dictionaries, commentaries, like Bible maps and like, it's incredible. It's a great resource. There are things like that out there for us where we can study. Like you don't have to be the pastor to study. Study to know the word of God. I want you to see this just in Jesus' life. Luke chapter two, verse 41 through 43. Jesus is 12 years old here. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. I want you to see this. The custom was his parents regularly took him there. And then somewhere along the way, 
Jesus adapted these spiritual habits and disciplines for himself. He was hungry to know God and his ways. And so he hung out at the temple, learning what he could. So the story goes, they can't find him. He's been missing for three days. They rush back to Jerusalem to find him. Here's what they find, verses 46 and 47. And I'm gonna skip down and read 52. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus is applying all these studying skills. He's listening. It's not just, hey, I learned this thing. Now I gotta go tell everybody about it. He's listening to others. He's learning from others. He's asking questions. Wait, how does that work? How does that tie in? Where does that fit? Listening, asking questions. He's giving answers, right? So he's having to think enough about what he's learning that he's like giving a report on it. He's giving answers and he's gaining understanding. This is all the stuff that's taking place as he invests this time. And then what happens? Growth. It says he grows in wisdom. That's applied knowledge. He doesn't just know the information. He knows how to use it and apply it in his life. He gained wisdom by studying. He grew in stature. That's about his character. Friends, none of this is just about what happens up here. It's about what happens with the whole person. My character is changed and refined as I'm a disciple of Jesus. As I read, as I meditate, as I study his word, I increase in wisdom, I increase in stature, and then favor, grace. And he grew in grace, not just in this relationship with God. He grew in grace here with others. Man, reading the Bible, meditating on the word of God, spending time studying it. It's life-changing. It's what God has for us. It's his open invitation. Friends, I don't know where this strikes you. Maybe you're going, man, I do all of these things. And this is just a healthy reminder to go, Great, endure, keep at it. Even through the dry seasons, you're still absorbing. Keep at it. But maybe there's a little spot where you can stretch, where you can grow, where you can apply one of these disciplines in your life. Maybe you're saying, hey, I do, I'm pretty faithful at reading. I haven't really slowed down and just pondered and absorbed like that. Or maybe I've done those first two, but man, I don't know that I really take the time and dig in and study. Like I've ever just sat down with the book of Ephesians and gone, I'm gonna figure this book out. Who wrote this? Who's the audience? What are the main points? Wow, these two or three words keep getting brought up over and over again. What do they mean? What if I just studied that letter, learned what it was about? Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I, I just need to get back into reading. Great, start where you are and watch what the Lord will do in your life as we decide to use these incredible tools he's given us. Amen? All right. It seems like a good spot to stop. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and the gift that it is in our lives. God, thank you that, that you love us and you care for us enough that you want us to learn how to master life, our walk with you, our relationships that are around us every day, how we relate and interact with the larger world around us. God, I, I pray that we would recognize the incredible gift that your word is in our lives. 
God, would you help us see where we are right now, honestly, and purpose to take the next step you would have us to take. If it's being a little bit more consistent in our reading, so that your word's getting into us. If it's moving beyond just fulfilling the reading of the word, but learning to apply it, may we do that. God, if you wanna invite us into a season where we just are, are like sponges, where we sit with a story, a concept, a passage, and just, just absorb what you wanna say. Chew on it, mull it over. Or God, if you're inviting us into some real study, God, where we, we figure out what are, what are you saying, big picture here. What do you mean when you say this? How does it connect to this over here? God, wherever we're at, may we step into this. May we purpose to be your apprentices and may we grow more and more into maturity that we might ultimately even reproduce the life you've poured into us into the lives of others. God, we need your help in this. Thank you that you are faithful to do it. Thank you that you make your word come alive in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.